Tyreek. James. And I'm Jim. And this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. I forgot to load up the swatch clock. 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 No, not swatch.com. I'm a... My my failure is being extended through time here. <laughs> As we record this, it is at 202 beats. Wait, do you record these episodes in BPM and not like minutes? I've been waiting for somebody to ask what this means so I can explain to the listeners. We've been doing it for three episodes now and nobody's asked yet. Well, if you go look at the PHP documentation, it'll tell you that it, you can uh, measure things in swatch beats. That's right. But that's, that's not where it came from. Go ahead and explain it, Jim. This is Swatch Internet Time, which is a, a decimal timekeeping system where there are there are a thousand beats in a day and there are no time zones. It, it's a new like way of globally scheduling events so that nobody gets confused by time zones mm. that was demanded by the creation of the internet because with the internet, you're talking to people all over the world. Uh, Swatch, the the watch manufacturer, invented this and produced a few watches that had this output as well as the uh, regular uh, twelve hour time. I see. Isn't there already a universal computer time? Yeah, yeah. We use UTC, but it's not decimal time. Yeah, there's the second since the Unix epoch. Right. Yeah. So wait, what is this epoch counting up from? Uh, January 1st, 1970. Ah, right. The beginning of time. Yes. Yeah, yeah the <laughs> 70s are when everything started. It's when Unix started anyway. Uh, uh, I like it, I think. I also like it conceptually, and I like it as like, here's one of the ridiculous internet things that people did back when the internet was full of promise. How old is this, this concept of Swatch? I believe it originated in the late 90s. Oh, wow. Hmm. Let me see if I can click about. Oh, created in 1998 by the Swatch Corporation. While adoption of Swatch during that time was a complete failure, it is in fact the perfect method of keeping time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people hate perfect things, though. That's why it never caught on. Right. Okay. So, But it's not based on UTC. It's based on um, Switzerland time. So midnight is zero in Switzerland. Oh, and it's counting up from the beginning of Switzerland, like as a nation? That's right, the epic, <laughs> when it was created in 1970. From the beginning of the Swatch Corporation. Yes. Uh. So I, I have a, a watch that tells time in beats, but I haven't worn it because when I, I wore it for a while and the watch band hadn't been cleaned in like 20 years, and then like some fungus started growing on my wrist where the watch Ooh. band was. So, Ooh. so I stopped. No, you should have kept it on and then you could have become like a symbiont of some sort. Yes. Yeah. yeah a swatch body horror beast. <laughs> yeah. Mold man. Anything to become a cyborg. I thought you were going to say you stopped wearing it because time stopped having meaning because nothing else uses this system. <laughs> oh, no, no. I just wore it so that when people asked me what time it was, I could tell them, oh, oh my, my good sir. My good sir, it is at 205 beats. I see. Uh, it's spelled dot beats, by the way. I do kind of like the terminology of beats as like a timekeeping measurement. Yeah, me too. Very musical. Yeah, that's why I thought you meant like BPM or like something when, when you first mentioned it. Right, right. We're recording this podcast at 200 BPM. 
Right. (laughs) That's how fast your heart rate is going. That's right. Oh, man. Lately, my left ear has been like uh, occasionally whooshing in time with my heartbeat. Oh, yeah. I've had that. Really unhappy about this because it is constantly reminding me of my own mortality. Oh, it should be reminding you that you're still alive, though. Like, if you stop hearing your heart beating, that's that's cause for concern. Well, like, I'm not hearing it right now. I'm I'm grateful. It's like it's whispering in my ear, Hey, Jim, you're made of meat. <laughs> and you're going to rot someday. <laughs> I guess that's a less enticing way of, of looking at it. Yeah. Tyreek, would you like to introduce yourself? Or do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah, I'm Tyreek. I make video game. One of them, Catacomb Kids. You can buy it. Also, probably by the time this episode is out the music thing that i've been working on will also probably be out hoping hoping that'll be done within the next couple weeks when when is ufo 50 out it's coming out in the year 5050 no i don't know this is very far away (laughs) uh it's it's coming along it'll be out eventually when it's done that's that's the best answer for anything right that's people still use that when it's done it is the most true answer yeah but it, it is getting closer to done, so that's that's another thing I'm working on. Uh, UFO 50, Catacomb Kids, and uh, music music album. Yeah. Uh, James, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I also made Game Thing at one time, but it's gotten weirder and more complicated. Uh, you can find me in many places on the internet under the handle Triple Fox. As far as I know, I have no imposters. That's lucky. Yeah. Uh, and when do you think... UFO 50 is coming out. <laughs> well, you know, it has 50 in the name. Yep. So the next interval of 50 in years would be 2050. Yeah. But since we're on topic words, we need to find the next interval of 50 in beats. Oh, no. <laughs> that we will never be able to do that. No one can do that clock math in their heads. So we'll just it'll just never come out. Are we ready to start on some topics? Yeah. I'm ready. Tyreek, your topic is nostalgia is a curse. Yeah, I don't like it. And I think people shouldn't feel it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's not entirely true. I do uh, think that nostalgia is unhelpful and not super good. And whenever I find myself feeling it, I become hyper-conscious of the fact that the past sucks and basically always has and the further back you go the more that the more true that becomes uh and even even though now time seems really bad i'm just really really leery about romanticizing the past you want to keep moving forward like a shark yeah like the idea of of nostalgia and like thinking the past is like this this amazing you know thing that that like oh things used to be better or like you know wistfully wishing that things used to be the way they were uh can hinder attempts to actually make now the current now and the future better especially better than the past that is perceived to have been good like i feel like a lot of people think about the past and they're like oh i wish things were that way again and then they endeavor to make things that way again instead of recognizing that like oh no they were that way before already and we can make a new better future that isn't like that or is is like that in different better ways without looking to the past as like some kind of uh, aspirational period. Yeah. So I have an opinion on this. Let's hear it. It isn't about 
nostalgia of the past, but about the future. Oh? When we're, we're thinking about, like, oh, we're going to make the future like this, but then, like, the actual future comes, and it's more like he just ended up there. Mm, interesting. You know, like, like how at the end of the night, somehow you end up in a bar. <laughs> and you have no memory of how you got there. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, well, we were supposed to have flying cars by now, but instead I'm in this bar. <laughs> Oh yeah, there's a there's a they might be giants song that uh, captures that feeling very well. Trapped in a world before later on. That's a good name. It's a good song name. It's a good song. Trapped in a world before later on. Yeah. We're being serenaded. <laughs> I, I can't remember the rest of the lyrics, Damn. but uh, <laughs> it has something to do with uh, where's my where's my flying car, where's my jetpack, that sort of thing. Right. What are you guys' relationship to, like, nostalgia as a con- as a concept? I've made my career out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean you like it, though? I mean, certainly means I think about it a lot. I definitely like a lot of things from my youth, but I think what's happening here is that you imprint on things when you're a kid, because when you're a kid is when you are best at absorbing any kind of information, but especially like the kind of information that's targeted at the kind of things that, that hook kids like cartoons and video games. The things that like you grasp immediately. Yeah. And pop songs. Yeah. Certainly I remember much better like pop songs I heard as a teenager than I do like when I last took a shower. <laughs> Wait, uh, you don't remember when you last took a shower? No. <laughs> I mean, I think it was yesterday, but I'm not sure. So obviously the solution to this is that I need to make a mixtape for myself with a song on it about when I last took a shower, send it back in time to my younger self, and have this kid listen to it over and over again, and then I'll know. But then younger you will know when future you took a shower on one specific day, (laughs) not when they themselves... (laughs) Took a shower last. I'm trying to remember now. <laughs> Future Jim can solve this problem like whatever way he wants to. I'm solving this problem this way right now. <laughs> Attachment to music is really interesting to me because that's something that I try to be like super aware of. And I guess it's kind of interesting thinking about like, okay, like at what point does something become nostalgia versus just taste? You know, mm-hmm. like I feel this way kind of about uh, a lot of music and art and stuff. And like pixel art is like a lot of a lot of my sensibilities for what I like developed when I was a child. But I don't think that my taste is necessarily equivalent to nostalgia, especially like when it comes to like pixel art and stuff. It's like I, I make pixel art. That's what I do. It's what I enjoy doing. But I don't do it out of a sense of nostalgia and I don't appreciate pixel art aesthetics out of a sense of nostalgia. I like it because that's like how my taste developed and I enjoy that aesthetic because I like appreciate the medium and the work that goes into it. And like, I recognize that a lot of stylistic developments have happened since I was introduced to the medium as a kid, uh, which I find really exciting and wouldn't want to just be stuck imitating all the stuff that I grew up with forever. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. I think a lot of people would argue that pixel art, and chiptune music is nostalgia in action. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I feel like my relationship with taste and nostalgia is kind of like nostalgia drove me to want to reproduce things exactly as they were done before. 
Mm -hmm. But that's not the same as what I end up with when I go to, like, just make a thing intentionally. Like, if you told me, oh, I need to make a Game Jam project, it's not going to come out nostalgically influenced because I'm just going to think, okay, what's the fastest way to do this? (laughs) Right. Right. But if I have the time to say, oh, it can be just like that one thing that I always liked, you know, then I might spend the time to at least get that effect. I do think that the idea of trying and failing to replicate your favorite things can produce interesting works in the failures. Have we talked about, uh, I think it's called Adventure 500? Doesn't sound familiar. That sounds like a racing game except with adventures. (laughs) I don't remember the exact, it's Adventure plus a number, but this was a game where someone had played Crowther and Wood's Adventure and then wanted to recreate it not having access to the original mm. all they had was their memory of it and the notes that they took oh I th- wow and, th- and this was a new version of the game that was created from scratch based on this person's vague memories of this game that's fun yeah it's super interesting in that respect like especially if you're familiar with the original game and this just makes me want to like you know, do a jam game jam where everybody picks a like a Atari twenty six hundred or NES game, something that would be like a, a something with a small scale enough that they could recreate it in a weekend and see how close they can get from memory. Yeah, that that does sound like a fun challenge. Yeah, or just not even not even video games, just like what is a memory that you vaguely have re- recreated as accurately as possible. Oh yeah, it's like when artists talk about working from reference versus imagination Mm -hmm. because imagination is really just all the references you accumulated compressed by your memory sure yeah Yeah. and i think it's it's like interesting to think about how it's it's really the way in which you remember something that defines like the style that you end up with you know that you simplify things as you're like oh yeah it was definitely like this but then if you go back and look at like the original it's like this actually more complicated thing. Mm. Right. You simplify when you're creating a, a depiction. Yeah. You turn it into, you know, like a symbolic thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Becomes abstracted. Right. And you choose what details to focus on. Yeah. And I, I imagine like in, in those situations, there are like certain aspects of the thing that you're remembering that you like remember extremely clearly. So like there's like a few of those things probably where it's like, oh, I remember this really clearly. It had like big belt buckle and like bright red shoes, but it, but like you don't remember what the pants are like. And so that's just like you have to like make it up or, yeah. or like 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 vaguely kind of like gesture towards what you think it was or what it feels like it should have been. So, so this reminds me of something which is kind of like an inverted form of nostalgia where you've seen things that kind of reference something else, but you never see the original until much later. Oh yeah, that, that happens to me all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so like uh, what I saw recently, I saw the movie Cloak and Dagger um, from 1984. This is one of those like, you know, little kid goes on an adventure movie that was really popular, like, like the type of thing that Stranger Things would be referencing. Yeah. But this particular one, like I knew about it, but I had never seen it. And it has, first of all, it has like product placement for the Atari game Cloak and Dagger. But then like the actual console game never came out because it was 1984. So 
Atari wasn't releasing stuff then. Yeah. But the like the, the actual story of it, it's like a thriller plot, except it just has a little kid in the middle of it. <laughs> like he's constantly being chased by men who want to kill him and nobody believes him. <laughs> and I realized that, oh wait, there like there's a bunch of stuff that I've seen that, that actually like kind of riffed off this plot of like this 10 year old or whatever that's called one to like take action and save the day and i think that came up in a bunch of tv movies that i watched and i think i definitely saw it a bunch in a few adventure games um so like willie beamish was one of them Mm -hmm. pepper's adventures in time if you've ever seen that one and it was just interesting seeing like oh okay this is this is the one that they like based everything off of yeah because i could see like the story there and like the major plot points and then realizing that oh it got reassembled into something else later that that's really like interesting because it's like i was seeing the things that they were influenced by but i didn't know what it was yeah that's that sort of thing is super interesting to me coming to it in reverse like my favorite i don't have an example that comes to mind but my favorite is like a song that you're very familiar with that you've heard a thousand times and then suddenly you hear an origin of a of a sample that that song used yeah yeah that i was actually going to going to say say similarly with a song but like this happens to me a lot where it's like i hear covers of songs before i ever hear the original song and then sometimes i like like listen to a song forever and then i'm like oh that's a cover of this thing then i go back and listen to the original i'm like i don't i don't like this <laughs> i like i like the new one more <laughs> yeah i mean uh, there, there's a reason that the second one got way more popular right i feel like that happens uh what's his name he has like a enormous number of songs and everybody covers all of them but his uh, bob he, dylan. He, he him, yeah bob dylan yeah but he himself nobody likes listening to <laughs> <laughs> yeah his voice not great because he's a, or was at least a chain smoker. Very good songwriter, apparently. Just yeah, well respected. Yeah, just listen to the covers. Uh, ready for another topic? Yeah, sure. Uh, James, your topic is nonogram puzzles. Oh yeah. Now, which one is this? Is this the Picross ones? Yeah. So it has a bunch of names. Let me let me pull up the names. Yeah, let's hear all of them. Yeah. Also known as Hanji, Paint by Numbers, Picross. Griddlers, Pickapicks, and various other names. They are picture logic puzzles in which cells on a grid must be colored or left blank according to numbers at the side of the grid to reveal a hidden picture. So the experience of playing them is is like you start with the blank grid and then gradually you see a picture reveal itself. But like you can't just guess at the picture because you can see it forming, but usually, like, you need to keep using the hints to tell you what to do. I got into them because I saw some, like, Twitch streamer playing them, and I was like, oh, I want to do some of those. So the first thing I did, I, like, went to one of the first websites that, like, had them and tried to do the hardest puzzle I could possibly find. <laughs> and then after spending a few days off and on poking at it, I put it into a automatic solver and it was like, you can't solve this. This one's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's probably a solution, but there's more than one. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. yeah, not valid. Yeah. And then after that, I started playing, like, a mobile app that had the cross puzzles 
that one got really, really hard because it kept giving me like 32 by 32 puzzles. Uh-huh. And what happens then is that it, you end up with hints that aren't very useful. They reveal like one square of the puzzle. Yeah. And so you're just searching and searching for like 20 minutes to find the next clue. And if you make a mistake, you start interpreting everything else wrong. Yep. Mm. It gets pretty difficult. And then I was like, well, I remember way back when there was Mario's Picross on the Game Boy. Surely Nintendo did this properly. (laughs) And they did, but it's also like so much easier than all the other puzzles that I've tried (laughs) that I'm just blowing for the game. Yeah, you can't, like, skip ahead to the expert level or something? The way they set up, at least the first Game Boy one, I don't know how many of them they did, they have, like, the Mushroom course and then the Star course, and you just have to complete every one of the puzzles in each course. And that's, I think, the entire game. Yeah, um, I've been playing... Well, not... Have have been is is old information, because I played this over a year ago. Uh, It's called the Konami Pixel Puzzle Collection. It is a collection of... Picross puzzles made by Konami using like Konami artwork that as far as I can tell, they plan to eventually monetize, but never got around to it. So it's just free. Some ridiculous number of Picross puzzles generally well-constructed that are just, you could just play it. Hmm. I could recommend that one. You said Konami, right? Yeah. It's on phones. It's on Android. Yeah. You'd think they would, you know, Put like a gotcha game or something into it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's up. <laughs> they uh, they forgot to do that part. I've seen Picross games, and I think I tried playing one once, but just the complete not knowing where to startness of this game and a lot of games of this type, like not just Picross, uh, but like those kind of like pencil and paper games where you have to like just there's just like a grid and just some vague clues and stuff like that. A lot of times there's just like for me at least, I don't have the patience to like find out what the first thing to do is, mm. and I, yeah. I can't seem to actually like get into them very much. This is probably me only noticing the annoying things, but I feel like every Picross app starts with an absolutely stultifying tutorial. Stultifying? <laughs> what, what is that word? Uh, let me look this up to make sure I'm using it right. <laughs> I mean, it sounds fun stultifying tending to stifle enthusiasm initiative or freedom of action that's exactly what i meant ah dang um that's that's some that's some good vocabulary right there (laughs) so maybe you could try one of those because it'll probably teach an absolute newcomer really well wait so i want to play a stultifying game that stifles (laughs) (laughs) yes because i want to just jump into picross nonograms because I already know how to play them but instead they're they're explaining to me step by step in an unskippable tutorial oh I see about how this puzzle works right yeah kind of tangentially um uh, roguelike celebration happened uh, oh yeah this past this past weekend that could be a topic sure well are we still talking about these I, what I'm what I'm gonna say is kind of related but like these sorts of games that are like you know pencil and paper single player kind of puzzle game sort of there was a talk uh, during roguelike celebration that uh, I really really liked uh, that is probably one of my one of my favorites by uh, 
this Italian guy who made a roguelike in the style of one of these games. Hmm. He called them like beach umbrella games because they're just kind of the kinds of games that you just like play on the beach under an umbrella and you're just like whiling away the hours. But it was really neat because he used like a lot of the same concepts and principles of these types of games, but applied them to like randomly generated dungeons that you print out and then have like a small set of like RPG style rules that you follow on the side and like a little character inventory and stuff like that. Uh, I haven't actually played one of these puzzles yet, but I really want to because I really like like the idea of these kinds of games and like the aesthetic of just like, here's a sheet of paper with like a black and white grid on it. Here's a pencil, here's an eraser. And that's all you need to, to, to enjoy yourself. Whenever I like see someone doing like a Sudoku or something like in a cafe or whatever, I'm like, that person's just having a real nice chill time. <laughs> I wish I could have that, you know? But every time I try to play one of these games, just like the utter like not knowing where to startness and my just complete lack of patience tends to drive me away. But this roguelike one seems really cool and interesting. I feel like I could be one of those people in a cafe if I were playing this game and people would look at me and see what I'm doing and think I'm doing like a crossword puzzle or a, a Picross or something when actually I'm just like, yeah, I just killed a goblin. Well, it depends. Uh, <laughs> Are you doing this on your phone? <laughs> no, it's 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 like print only. Oh, wow. That's incredible. The website you go to uh, every day randomly generates a different one. You said the website that you go to every day randomly, and I was about to type that. Every day <laughs> That's not the website. Uh, it it yeah. generates a new one, but it, it generates it as a PDF that you print out. Chronicles of Stampadia. Stamp, Stamppadia? Also, I recommend, like, any... Like, the talk was also good <laughs> that he that he sure. gave for yeah. Roguelike Celebration. I'm presuming all the Roguelike like, Celebration talks are on YouTube now. They are, yeah. They haven't broken them up into their own separate videos yet, so they're still just, like, in huge, like, three-hour chunks. Uh, yeah. But eventually they'll be broken up, and I, I missed most of them, like, on the day of. Like, I didn't really watch many of the talks live, so I've just been kind of going through uh, and uh, watching them after the fact. And that, that, that one particular talk really stood out to me, and I'm looking forward to actually giving, giving, this, a, giving this a go. You need the manual, according to this. Yeah, you need two dice. There is a manual, yeah. Oh, if people if people see you rolling dice, you've suddenly lost all your chill. <laughs> I could have a dice roller on my phone. There you go. Now, now they'll think you're looking at Twitter. Or I could just make up numbers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's how I play Yahtzee. <laughs> just say the first two numbers that come to your mind between one and six. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, my topic is, as the exodus continues, all that will be left of the public-facing internet will increasingly be the people who are too hard-headed or, or hard-hearted to burn out. And this is something that I've observed over the past know, maybe maybe 10 years, is that my favorite people are leaving the internet, leaving the public-facing internet. They're, they're retiring to the offline colonies. Good for them. Bad for me, because I liked them. I liked hanging out with them. And I'm wondering, like, before... 2000 or whatever not even that early like before recently I, I, were, I wasn't ostensibly friends with any of these people and and so that the idea of going back to that previous state shouldn't be terrible because it wasn't terrible back then like my life was fine and I'm wondering like what is it that I'm 
actually missing? What am, what is it what is it that I'm fearing will go away? And I think it's the potential that I could hypothetically be friends with every cool person in the world. <laughs> That's what you'd be missing out on? Yeah, when they when as people leave Twitter. I mean, I, f- I feel like it's perfectly natural if you befriend someone in real life and then they move away, you feel bad that you can't interact with them anymore. I feel like this isn't really that different where it's like you befriended them. And so it's not like, it's not that you're necessarily afraid of going back to before you knew them. Yeah. Well, it's not just that though, because like I could, and I'm bad at this because I have lost this skill as has most of, most of the people I know I've lost the skill of actively maintaining a friendship because social media makes it, you, it just happens by default. You just see people's lives happen in front of the in front of mm. you without trying. Uh, but I could work that muscle and maintain my friendships with all these people directly. But I would still be missing out the potential of all the cool people who left the internet before I got to meet them. <laughs> well, I don't know. It, like, if I were to take your Twitter posts as like the entirety of you know you, Jim. Yeah. You would be this person who tweets whimsical things. <laughs> I, I don't think that's the entirety of you. You know, like you're also a parent. You talk about like technical stuff. There's these other facets and a lot of facets that I don't even know probably. Uh-huh. So when we're saying uh, I won't be friends with these people, it's more like you want to interact with this something more like a service they're providing you. <laughs> because that's how you use your Twitter, right? Uh, yeah, I want I want their whimsy. Yeah, I I don't think that's wrong. It's just that it's kind of like a temporary thing. Like I don't think anybody expected to do it forever. I never thought about it, whether or not I'd be on Twitter forever. How long is Twitter going to be around? I wonder. <laughs> there will be a last tweet. We know this. Yeah. There will be a final tweet and a final Twitter user. It's it's really interesting to me that, like the way that like social media has fragmented into all these different highly popular highly populated you know apps and stuff but that uh only like sometimes cross paths most people are probably just on like one or two or like have like a main one that they're always on yeah I'm never gonna use TikTok it's <laughs> not like I'm never gonna know anybody on there but the good stuff from TikTok gets reposted on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're actually, you are getting the service of all those users. Do the good tweets make it to TikTok? <laughs> I don't think so because they aren't animated. Right. But the good tweets make it to Tumblr. And sometimes Tumblr makes it to Twitter as well. Yeah. 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 There's, there's some crossover. I've definitely seen like a, a screenshot of Tumblr that includes a screenshot of a, of a tweet. <laughs> yeah, no, you can have the video essay that includes Twitter screenshots. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I kind of feel the flip side of this, which is that like a significant majority of my social interactions and interpersonal relationships uh, have developed and remain almost entirely online. And sometimes I feel like, man, I should like, get to know a neighbor or something like what cool people in real life are accessible to me that I am missing out on knowing and uh, interacting with like I've thought about this too and I don't think I want to know actually that that's not true I have right now this very second I have a neighbor 
that has a two-year-old, and they they seem pretty cool. Before they moved in, though, there was nobody in the neighborhood that I wanted to be friends with. You know what? I'm actually just assuming that. <laughs> See? You don't know. We live in a uh, a neighborhood full of rich people, you know? Uh. We, we are... <laughs> well, I don't want to say squatting, but we're staying in this house at, at an extremely, like extremely reduced rent because it's owned by a relative Mm. if suddenly like the way i was going to interact with people was primarily going to be in real life i would have thought very differently about where i was going to move to Mm. like i would prioritize much more heavily uh, living in a neighborhood full of the kind of people that i thought would be cool to hang out with Mm. the very fact of most of my socialization happening online has has shaped my life such that not only am I bad at at real life interaction, I'm also placed at a disadvantage based on my circumstances because I haven't had to make it a, make it a priority recently to be real life friends with people. You could like dump all your sugar on the ground outside and then go ask your neighbor for a cup of sugar because now you have. No- <laughs> Yeah, the oh man, what a way to boost your 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 friend circle is to just befriend an ant colony. Now you've got like a million friends that you didn't have more than I could ever want. More friends <laughs> than I've ever had in my life. That's how you win, right? That's how you win social existence is by having the most friends, I'm pretty sure. That's right. Yeah. It's not like spiking your pleasure center as high as possible. <laughs> Like some losers think. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Uh, yeah, sure. For this topic, this is a new uh, a new segment we're doing. We're doing a we're we're doing poetry reading and analysis, as suggested by uh, the Topic Lords Discord users, as a replacement for the the music video segment. Today, we're going to be analyzing Michael Palmer's "The Village of Reason," and I will start out by reading this poem. Then maybe we talk about it, or we could like go over it line by line. We could figure it out. Here's the thing, though: you have to read it at one quarter speed. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna read it at normal speed, and I'll time stretch it for the listeners. <laughs> this is a glove <laughs> or a book. By the way, I uh, I put the link in the um, itinerary. Feel free to click on that and follow along. Yeah, it has a professional reading it. Oh, does it? We could just we could just include that instead of me reading it. <laughs> a professional reader. I'm gonna read this. This is a glove or a book from a book club. This is the sun or a layer of mud. This is Monday. This is an altered word. This is the village of reason, and this is an eye torn out. This is the father or a number on a chart. This is a substitute. This is the thing you are. This is the varnished picture, or else an accepted response. This is the door, and this is the word for door. This is a reflex caused by falling, and this is a prisoner with an orange. This is a name you know, and this is the poison to make you well. This is the mechanism, and this is the shadow of a bridge. This is a curve, and this is its thirst. This is Monday. This is her damaged word. This is the trace. And this is the term unmarked. This is the sonnet, and this is its burning house. You are in this play. You are in its landscape. 
This is an assumption, the length of an arm. This is a poppy. This is an epilogue. All right, thoughts? What do you think? What does this mean? Why did I read this to you? <laughs> I don't know. Po poetry can be kind of intimidating. Yeah. Because it's like, you, you either think, oh, that's really clever. I wish I had thought of it. Or you don't get it at all. <laughs> or you think, that was obvious. I could do better. Yeah. None of those options make you feel good about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess poetry is not about feeling good about yourself. It's about feeling bad about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I said this is an epilogue, but this says, it just says this an epilogue at the end. I wonder what else other I misread. The crack that I can see where I can try to wedge a crowbar into understanding here is this an epilogue is the last line of the poem. What I now want to do is go over every line and try to figure out how this refers to the sentence that it's in. So this is an epilogue. like. It refers to that sentence, because it's the last line of the poem. So, this is a glove. That sentence must be a glove somehow. <laughs> well, I guess it's it's the first sentence. Uh-huh. And so, all the rest of the sentences, in that way, kind of fit into it. So, there would have to be, like, at the end, there would have to be slash this is a glove, or slash glove. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this poem is, is from 1943. That predates HTML. Well, it says he was born in 1943. It would be really impressive if he wrote this poem the year he was born. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I just saw a star and then 1943 and assumed that was when the poem was written. <laughs> the one line that stands out to me is, this is the father or a number on a chart. Uh-huh. It kind of makes me think of like the idea of, in certain contexts, things are themselves and in other contexts they are statistics or else somehow removed from their ownness. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like this is the father or a number on a chart. It's like depending on, on your perspective, it's like this is either a very close person that you know very well and, and care for a lot or they could just be another number on a graph somewhere. Like maybe somebody took a poll or maybe it's like... Could be a medical chart. The medical chart, exactly, or, or you know, uh, some some kind of statistic. That's all I'm getting out of it. But I'm, I'm kind of like trying to find like other parallels in this. Like this is the mechanism and this is the shadow of a bridge. Kind of s sort of a similar thing where it's like this is the actual thing and this is the shadow it casts. Oh, interesting. Yeah. This is Monday. It's, it's obviously referring to like Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah. This is the village of reason. I think that one's referring to like people rationalizing their their actions mm. okay all right yeah this is the sun or a layer of mud could be like the reflection of a sun it's like you're you're either looking at the sun through the reflection or you're looking at the thing that the sun is reflecting off of i am gonna see if this poem is on genius.com <laughs> <laughs> did you choose this for a particular reason like is this a poet that you are familiar with uh, no when i asked topic lords discord what poem I should do first. Uh, this was the first one mentioned. It's a good reason. Miko says, The Village of Reason by Michael Palmer is good if you want to take your hindbrain for a brisk jog around the block. Hindbrain? What does the hindbrain do? <laughs> uh, 
uh, uh, why don't I look it up to see if he's using it correctly? <laughs> is that an actual term, or is that just like? What if it's just poetry? Yeah, it is a term developmentally derived from the romb. I'm not going to try pronouncing that. Is one of the three major regions of our brains located at the lower back part of the brain. Okay, but talk about like colloquially. How how do people use this in a sentence? We have an example sentence. I feel like I should say I I do kind of like this poem as a work. The hindbrain coordinates functions that are fundamental to survival, including respiratory rhythm, motor activity, sleep, and wakefulness. <laughs> so I think they're just I think colloquially they mean uh, your like your subconscious or not the rational part of your mind. It'll wake up your brain. You need to play Brain Age for the Nintendo DS. <laughs> to understand poetry, yes. All right, no hits on Genius.com, but surely there's a Genius.com for, for poetry. Would that be like Spark Notes or something? Or I also imagine that there's too much poetry in the world for there to be commentary on all of it. There's lots of songs, too. I, I think the difference might be that there are fewer people who care to analyze poetry. Yeah, I think there are fewer people, and also songs have repeated bits, so you only have to analyze those once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, the song isn't becomes an earworm, so you just hear it in your head over and over. Yeah, no one gets poems stuck in their head. So in my head, I was imagining that we would like go over this poem line by line and try to and argue about what each line means, but I think we've established that like we have no idea. <laughs> That might be more more interesting on a poem where every line doesn't have the exact same format. Uh huh. Yeah. Like th this is this is this is this is this is and and basically we would just be trying to figure out what is this what what is this what's yeah. this. Also, I'm pretty sure I added a bunch of ises into this reading that weren't there. I was reading along with you, and it it sounded mostly right to me. Oh, good. Okay. I think I think the the epilogue one is the only one that was missed because I remember you got to the the one this is the door and this is and this is the word for door and you didn't put an is there even though I mentally did and then I noticed that you didn't and I was like oh, oh good. He, he he read that right my brain didn't <laughs> oh, okay so well in that case any of the places where you mentally put in an is I might I would put it one in and you wouldn't notice <laughs> if I remember correctly the professional reader subtracts an is. Oh, that's why they're paid the, the big bucks. <laughs> they speed ran the poem. That's right. <laughs> they know it's all about the is's you don't say. Not every poem has to be 100% completion. I really like the line, this is the poison to make you well. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's well put. That's, that's, that's how medicine feels sometimes. <laughs> What's that saying about, uh, you know, familiarity? Better the devil you know. Mm -hmm. I think that that line might be referring to that phrase. Mm. Oh, I wonder if I'm going to keep doing this segment. I know I'm going to do it next week because I've got a specific poem I want to talk to a specific person about. But I wonder how often I'm going to keep, going to keep doing this segment. And if it's for a while, am I going to get any better at this? <laughs> Actually, that's kind of a fun experiment to like to like look at yourself now and be like, I have no idea what this means. And then come back to it like in like six months or I don't know, however long, and be like, oh, yeah, I understand now. It is a fun experiment, but also like, is it entertaining for the listeners to learn how to analyze poetry in, in public? <laughs> hmm. 
I hope you do it next time I'm on, at least, because I'm enjoying this. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm imagining this being put up with some kind of YouTube thumbnail, and you're like, your face is shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, I, m- I mentioned uh, in, in the chat before we got started, I have a bunch of books of poetry next to me because I like poems. And one of them is by uh, uh, a poet that I wish I had gotten to know him better. I actually only recently learned that he, that he passed away last year. But uh, when I was in high school, I did like a bunch of like spoken word poetry and stuff. And one of the cafes I went to, he he read at a lot and uh, I bought his book. And he, oh. he's like one of my favorite poets. Wait, who is this? Uh, his name is Q.R. Hand Jr., which is a great name. Yeah, that, that means there there was a Q.R. Hand that he was named after. Could not find anywhere what the Q or the R stand for. <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, and I was like like reading. I, I remembered that I had this book, and then I like looked him up uh, before we started to see like if he was still around. And he, he passed away last year, and I was like reading his 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 uh, uh, obituary m- memorial thing. He had like a really interesting life, and I wish I had wish I had gotten to know him more. Like he he like knew Malcolm X apparently, and and like was part of that the whole like civil rights movement around then. And he worked in like San Francisco in the mission for a long time, like helping uh, drug addicts and stuff recover at at a, at a halfway house and stuff. And I don't know, he just seemed like a really cool dude. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, his poetry is all like the it's the kind of stuff that you would snap to. Sure. After he's done, you just kind of like yeah. Yeah, man. Because it's gauche to applaud. Yeah, applauding. Too loud, too scary. It startles the poet. Uh. <laughs> so I was going to make a joke about QR codes. Turns out QR stands for quick response. <laughs> if I just said quick response hand junior, you probably would have no idea what I was talking about. So uh, that, that conjures up like the Terminator. Terminator Junior. <laughs> I bet the Terminator had a quick response hand. Yeah, let's hope. Don't scare that guy. Don't clap at him. Uh, are you ready for another topic? Yeah. Yes. James, your topic is, instead of writing in a journal, recording the journal on the phone. Yeah. I don't remember when I started doing this now, but I thought to myself, I liked writing in a journal, but then I also wanted to take walks. And if I did that on the walk, I would be typing on my phone for long periods, which was not very good for my hands so i was like well i could just record it and then i realized that like after doing this for a while it was changing what i was putting down like my thoughts and that's just because like the medium changes when you use your voice Mm -hmm. instead of writing because if you write then then it's like oh i can edit my my thoughts and filter out the things i don't want to say but if you're speaking then it's like out there forever and while you could like edit the audio that's not really conducive to journaling right and then after that i realized well actually i don't need to record it i just need to get my thoughts out loud and that seems to do the job i actually wanted it to do very well which is like i don't look back at what i write very often i just write to think about something yeah so if i do it by just saying it out loud then that also does the, the thing. So it turned from recording the journal into like just self-talk as I walk. Sometimes I have the phone out if I feel self-conscious. Oh, so you don't even record these days. You just talk to yourself. Yeah. Do you get weird looks ever? Sometimes people are surprised 
but you know like like i said if i feel self-conscious then i'll have the phone out so it's like oh he's just talking to somebody right uh, that's neat yeah i like that that journey of self-discovery that like all you really needed was an excuse to talk to yourself and then you don't even need that once you realize that that's all you're doing yeah i think of journaling as like you're doing this for right now because you're getting your thoughts out but also at some level like I feel like I would want to be able to go back to this stuff in 30 years and see what my thoughts were. Yeah. And I, like, I do write a little bit still, but not nearly as much because most of the thoughts I want to go back to, like, I just need, like, a snippet of that to, like, remember, oh, yeah, all of that. Yeah. Like, it's just a reminder. Yeah, that makes sense. Journaling is never a habit that I've developed or got into but it's one that i feel like i should because i suck at remembering anything ever and uh it feels like it would be helpful to have a record of of my thoughts you know goals or or whatever the case may be not exactly the same but but rather than uh recording like me speaking i have i guess as of the past like couple years uh started recording like more like musical ideas because sometimes I'll like come up with like a neat little thing that I really like, and then the next day it's like completely gone from my memory, and I can't remember it at all. Uh-huh. Whenever I'm like driving anywhere, I usually like you know sing as I drive and you know come up with some like lyrics or like a melody that I like, and I'll usually uh, record like while I'm driving or uh, if I like sit down at the piano and just start noodling around, I'll usually like record those, and it's nice because like sometimes I'll like go back through and like listen to it and be like oh. That, that that actually was really nice or i'll listen to it back and be like oh ooh, what's that delete but uh I, I never i never considered like actually just like taking verbal notes in that same in the same way that i do like musical notes and that sort of thing right you do collect like art references right yeah yeah like i, I feel like it's writing for me is kind of like building up that kind of uh reference material even though I don't usually, like, turn it into, like, a giant repository of all my thoughts. Because usually, like, my thoughts will go to something else, and then I'll kind of let go of a whole subject for a while. Yeah, like, like I feel like journaling is kind of, kind of like on that, that, that kind of thing for me. It's just like, oh, I, I'm using this to develop some other idea. The, the very few times I have managed to, like, write something down or record something uh, journal-like has mostly been when I've, like, woken up from a very strange dream that I wanted mm. to remember. I'll, like, record a description of that or, or like, write down some, some notes that I cannot decipher once I wake up fully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, the usefulness of that has been, has been uh, mixed. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got um Game Ideas notebook that is just full of, Stuff that is just nonsense today. <laughs> I've tweeted about this before, but like the classic, the classic game idea that I had that I still don't know what to make of is just the phrase mariachi trumpets. <laughs> is, that a, is it a rhythm game? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I have a note that I took a long time ago on my phone that I don't know what was in reference to. It's just, what the fuck is this statue? Uh, and every time I read that, I, I laugh. That what that demands is that the notes are uh, GPS tagged. Mm, I feel like I vaguely remember like having been traveling while I was 
while I when I wrote that note. Like I might have been in Boston. If your diary is GPS tagged, you could retrace your steps like as you're wandering through Rome and taking notes on every uh everything you saw. You could come back in thirty years and, and, and be like, Oh yes, as I was standing here I thought this about the Trevi Fountain. I am highly uncomfortable with the idea of being GPS tracked all the time. What if it's just locally on your yeah, I guess that's less bad. It's still a little weird. It is. It, it Well, it's weird because we don't trust the companies that own our phones, and we shouldn't. Yeah. Is there, like, any effort to, like, open source an entire phone platform? I've definitely seen, like, here's an open yeah. source phone that nobody's ever going to use because there are no <laughs> apps for it. <laughs> Maybe they run Android apps, but then the Android apps are going to be written to fit with the Android ecosystem where everybody's trying to get your data. Right. I feel, I feel that way about like smart home stuff. I fantasize about one day like building my own house somewhere and I would love it to be like chalked to the gills. That's not a phrase. Uh, with like <laughs> smart home stuff. But I feel like I would have to like write it all myself or, or use open source things because I would not trust Amazon and Google just... In all my bits, in all my bits, yeah. Just no, I just, I just want a regular home made of wood, and it's not, <laughs> it's not smart at all. Now I want my house to be smarter than me. I just don't want it to be networked. Okay, yeah. You want a butler that's a genius. No, I want a Wallace and Gromit style home where, when I wake up, my bed lifts up and dumps me out into a Rube okay. Goldberg contraption that dresses me and makes me breakfast. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, you could have a genius butler that's also strong enough to dump you out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the Rube Goldberg contraption is a little harder to come by. When I first read this topic, instead of writing it as you're recording on the phone, it made me think, do you guys write things on pen and, like, with pencil and paper still? Or do you just type everything? As little as possible. My handwriting is terrible, and I really don't enjoy the process of writing. So I, I type everything as much as I can. I think I write a few times a year, but not really for myself. It's more like to write a thank you note. I'll write a check. Yeah. And I address an envelope. Are people just going to stop needing to know how to write at some point? Like, I think about this sometimes where, like, whenever I have to write a thing, like anything on paper, on like a physical pad of paper, usually I, like, think back and I'm like, oh, wow, it's been a while since I've done this. <laughs> like... <laughs> and, and like i've just yeah. become hyper aware of the fact that i write maybe twice two or three times a year already cursive has been removed from from elementary school education as far as i know i i don't think people would stand for it i think it would just be a bridge too far even if it is something that they don't expect their kids to do much at all people will would riot if it, it if they try, stopped teaching kids how to write I agree with you. I don't think I don't think we're going to stop teaching kids how to write, but I wonder if it's going to be kind of come kind of like a second language sort of thing in school where it's like, okay, you take as much of this course as you need to get the basics and then when you graduate you never do it again and eventually the skill atrophies, which is what happened to my Spanish. It would be like if at school they taught fire making, how you do it in the stone age. Right. And then then they removed that. <laughs> the parents would riot 
Yeah. My kid doesn't know how to make a fire. Well, it's the same thing with a lot of like math stuff where it's like when I was in high school, they were like, you need to learn how to do all this math because you're not going to have a calculator all the time. And now in modern existence, we all absolutely have calculators <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But not on the SATs. I had the thought, you know, it was like up late at night and I was thinking to myself, yeah, all that stuff I did in school, it didn't, it was just right. doing homework. Like so much yeah. of, of school and like early education is the acquisition of non-practical knowledge, I feel like. And I feel like that's becoming even more so as, you know, time goes on and the knowledge becomes even less practical as technology advances and makes more and more of those skills kind of obsolete or easy to do. Yeah. Like the the more important thing yeah. to me than like knowing how to do all these like different math equations and stuff is knowing which equations to use. Well, ostensibly they teach you how to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but that, that never seemed to be like where the focus was. Cause like the focus is always, yeah, but that doesn't get me the grade. You know, yeah. what gets me the grade is like figuring out what the teacher wants. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I kind of just wonder, like, how many other skills are going to undergo that same sort of process? For instance, like, I feel like what should be probably a class that is that should be introduced is, like, how to navigate the internet and discern truth from fiction. <laughs> yeah. Like, media literacy is suddenly, oh, this isn't an elective anymore. This is something that everybody needs to know. Yeah, I would love to see, like, statistics, like, how to think about right. odd probability uh be a, a standard class in in high schools uh that's all the time we have for topic lords tyreek if this is something that you want where can people find you on the internet you can find me at four bit friday all spelled out with letters f-o-u-r-b-i-t-f-r-i-d-a-y that's how you spell those i stopped for a second because i wasn't sure <laughs> you can also go to errorwithanf.com and by, by the time this episode is out hopefully there will be uh, an album there if it sucks don't tell me <laughs> just don't speak to Tyreek ever <laughs> and uh james if this is something that you want where can people find you on the internet i suspect many people are already in the topic words discord and you can just talk to me there <laughs> there you go Tyreek, I believe you're in there as well, though. I don't know if you're active. I pop in every once in a while, usually after I like listen to an episode that's that particularly grabs my attention or has a topic that's that I want to... Yeah, that's usually when I speak, too. All right, thanks so much for being on. Yeah, fun, as always. Thank you. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!